You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land of Legacy podcast. I'm your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. And we are right in the heart of Missouri rifle season. It is November, I don't know, past the 11th because that's when season 12. opens up. So we've spent two days hunting here in the Missouri firearm season. I know there is a pile of hunters in the woods right now. That's all great stuff. And we are going to share a little bit of kind of our strategy, do a little bit of hunting, talk a little bit of our hunting strategy, what we've seen. And what we didn't see is what we can talk about today. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about, because I've, I've been doing it the last few days. I know there's a lot of other guys that are sitting there doing it, especially most of our audience that probably is a little bit habitat-minded and thinking, okay, there is a pile of hunting and a pile of shooting going on. How can I make it better? And uh, that'll be the... Well, and not, not even just how can I make it better, but how do I understand how the deer react to all this? Like, yeah. I, I want to understand what the reaction is so then I can make it better. How do they even respond to all this? Because it, <laughs> it's, How do they respond? They go hide, hide, hide and hole. hide and hide and hide some more yeah. and then don't move till after dark. Um, kind of that deer in the headlight look to me. When you see a deer, I, I just picture a deer frolicking. Yeah, I said it. Um, through the timber and then this shooting starts and the hunters start and the ATVs fire up and it's just like whoa and then they turned into just that pin down in a treetop like uh uh-uh, uh I ain't I ain't moving and why would uh, they no I, <laughs> yeah why would they there's all kinds of big noises going on outside so are going on around them but anyway um and this is you know we've talked a lot about it the tradition the heritage we had a really popular podcast that was what gets you outdoors and. This is kind of a, we'll open up with some deer stories, deer camp, kind of talk about what hunting, especially rifle season is for myself and Matt. But then we'll go into kind of, uh, of course, habitat stuff, but the strategies and basically stereotypical um, people involved in firearm season. There's there's a certain spectrum of, when you when you start talking about firearm season, that really there's there's three main categories or I guess that we've kind of determined that a lot of hunters can fall into regarding firearm season and I've been in two of them. I you I moved? start you, I, I started 
I started in one of them, uh, kind of, uh, maybe all three. I forget what what different ones you have, but um, I know I've been in two of them for sure because there was a time where I was in. Can you when, legally do that? When I was in <laughs> one of these stereotypes, and then as I've gotten, and frankly, the last year and a half, I've kind of gotten this other one that's. Um, kind of stepped away from are you saying you're you're changing i'm evolving oh I, um i'm an old soul if you will uh there's certain things i mean i has i've matt and i often talk in the podcast or not in the podcast just driving down the road or whatever um i find myself to where and this goes back to the deer camp you know yesterday morning when we got up at the at the cabin mm-hmm. and i said made the joke of like yeah, I want to just set the property up to where we know the afternoons are better in the mornings. We just get up and have coffee and kind of hang out. I'm like, I would love to have about 30 people in camp that have never hunted before yeah. and have people, guides, dads, whoever, um, take them out. And I just hang back at camp and start cooking and hanging out. I kind of want to be the guy who gets up and puts his coveralls on, fixes the coffee, and then gets the buggy. And just goes and drops everyone off at their place. I, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And by the time you get back to the cabin, somebody's some already shot one, and, and you just start them. making the rounds again. Yeah, and 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 the best part of that is, you're not going to be the guy in the tree stand hearing the shots and like, oh, so and so killed one. You're going to be the guy who gets to celebrate with every person oh, yeah. that's harvested. You're, one. you're the first one on site, and and you're the first responder. There we there go. There you go. Yeah. To the reaction, and you get to take up the blood trail. Make the recovery, man. I can't. I can't wait to get old and do that. No, me. I'm right there I, with you. I was sitting there. That's what I was just like. I'd love to improve all this habitat and have all sorts of stands set up, and then just have people come in and hunt, and and it just be, be a grand old times. What it'd be. It'd be fun. And then I look back at myself, even ten years ago, and I thought, holy cow, what has changed? I know I've gotten like ten gray hairs since then, but ten. That's uh, yeah. That's all I got, and um, I can see eleven growing right no, now. No, my talking. wife pulls them out. Um, <laughs> so that's just to me. It's like as we evolve as hunters, and and you know, I said old soul, but I'm thirty, and we are already talking about conservation, preservation, and that to me, that's something that I should be in this. I hate to say it, but bloodlust era right now, to where it's like I just want to kill the biggest deer out there, put him on the wall, and talk about him. That's kind of what people in my age do, but to me, it's way more about the habitat and the conservation and the legacy. Like, I was, I was coming back from Laddie's property, um, over in Delaware, and here's driving me to the airport. They have no idea. I, I guess they did. They heard. I was going to yeah, say they, they don't have. They've a, heard us talk about. Laddie we have and not Delaware released property. the video yet. Um, we it's did, going to come out this week. Yes, this week you'll see the the final product. evergreen. Pre- nature preserve. Nature preserve. It, it's an incredible video. Well, well, guys, we'll cover that at the end. But um, we were on the way to the airport, and he was like, tell me about your, your hunting career. Where are you at? And it was very – I guess no one had really asked me that question. I, it took me a, a second to really sit back and think. But obviously we, we were very similar into that mindset of, you know, I, I've been really blessed to – grow up hunting from a young age and have been able to take many, many deer and, and trophies of different sizes, um, lots of turkeys, seen everything to see in a turkey woods, 
doesn't mean I'm going to stop hunting, but I've been blessed to be able to experience it. And I want to, I want to get to a point where we can just share it and improve it and know that, Hey, I'm making an impact for, for later on down the road. Um, and then let other people get there. And, and that kind of leads us into the tradition of deer camp and what just we experienced this weekend um, as Missouri's gun season, firearm season opened up yesterday. Yeah. The 11th of November. And for me, we had Kip on a couple weeks ago and we talked about, we just got the new numbers out. We lost 2 million hunters from 2011, 2016, 2 million. And there's only about 12 million total. So well, there was 12 million. There now was 10. Um, catastrophic, honestly, um, a, a, a landslide drop. And we ask ourselves, what are we doing so wrong? And what are we doing to put the brakes on and say, whoa, what can we do to get those two million back and then some? And frankly, Matt, we talk about this, but we never publicly said it on a podcast. But, Don't you raise your voice at me. Um, when we talk about that, in the last five years, we've dropped numbers. But in yeah. the last five years, I've heard way more talks of trophy deer mm-hmm. and trophy management and harvesting mature deer, mature deer, mature deer, mature deer, to a point where even – and I say this because I have a lot of younger kids, younger teenagers write me messages uh, on our social media pages and email that have – Nice young deer, but they're scared to shoot them because they're afraid they're going to get shamed for shooting a young deer. Yeah. And, and and so it's like as trophy deer management goes up and the popularity of that goes up, the popularity of hunting goes down. What I don't want to happen is there to be the, the idea of, you know, we have specific management goals that we'd like to reach, but that doesn't mean that they need to be set for everyone else, though, too. Like when I when, – <laughs> My gosh, the number of dinkers that I've killed in my lifetime far outweighs the number of older mature class deer. And from when I started deer hunting for many, many years, if it was a legal buck, I shot it and I loved it. I loved every single minute of it and wouldn't ever take that back. And I just because a lot of people or, or, or it's projected out there that a big buck is like a, oh, it's almost like a status that you have to get to or whatever. I don't, it doesn't matter. It's not an age thing. If you're a new hunter, you got to go make yourself happy. Yeah. Bar you none. can't put a kid in it. I would have probably never be where I'm at today. And I certainly wouldn't be in front of this microphone talking about habitat and hunting heritage. If my dad had put me out in the woods and said, okay, Wait till he's a four-year-old and shoot. Yeah. I would, I would have. I can look you straight in the face right now and tell you, I would have not shot a deer on the farm, ever. <laughs> Even yeah. the good buck I shot last year, I think, was three and a half. Yeah. So I would still, at thirty years old, be on the farm going, "Well, I'm still looking for him." Yep. And so that's the that, and that rant kind of comes up. Because we were at the cabin and I saw the wall of shame, uh, all my dinker bucks <laughs> that I killed in like, it's like four years there. Um, that to me, I just laugh. There was the cheese grinder buck. Um, mm-hmm. You saw him, his forked horn, his, his tines, uh, his main beams overcrossed. And I had so much fun on that hunt, rattling. I rattled. Remember my big mm-hmm. primo's rattling antlers yep. I told you about? My buddy was grunting and we sat there laughing. 
and it was like constant pop pop. Also, we look up there, and here's this little year, yearling buck looking at us, and he said, "You're gonna shoot it?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna uh, shoot him." Yeah, and I shot him, and uh, that was back in the next shooting days. And uh, he dropped, and it was like, whoa, yeah, we rattled in a buck. Man, that was so much fun. It was just like we see on the TV whenever they're doing that down in Texas, except this was not quite that same caliber. But we sure had a good time. And that's what it has to be. That's the type of hunting that you can get more people on board with. Well, and that's that's the type of hunting that one very few people portray the – this is such a fine line that 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 you're running. So, talking about it is it, sometimes tough because you want everyone to be successful. And I guess I guess in a the long roundabout way, what it comes down to is what you may classify as a trophy, or what your objectives are as a hunter may not always agree with everyone else's, but bar none, you are a hunter. And you have all the right, if we're legal, to shoot whatever buck you want to shoot. Because the absolute last thing we want to happen is for you to go into the woods and let somebody else dictate your standards of a buck to a point where you decide to stop hunting and pick up another hobby because you don't feel like you can please society for the type of bucks you want to shoot. Do I personally want to shoot a big buck? Yes. I think everyone would say, hey, if I had the opportunity, I'd shoot a big buck. But I'm not going to say to you, don't go and shoot that deer because you, it's, you know, if, if it's your first year, I'm not ever going to say, don't go and do it. And the question becomes, would that deer make you happy? If that deer came in and presented you a shot, an ethical shot, would you take it and then be happy with the harvest? Mm-hmm. If the that, answer is yes, then that's your personal choice. Then fire away. Yeah, and we'll high-five you just like it was a 200-inch deer. This is what I told you in Kansas about. Uh, and they, Chad and Richard kind of laughed at us because... The, Are we the, talking about uh, ODB? Yeah. Yeah, the buck. And, and the buck came in, and they were like, ah, they passed him up. It was like the first morning. He, I think he kind of caught him off guard. Chad said it was on the other side of the tree, so he couldn't have shot him anyway. But yeah, humongous body. Um, I mean, every characteristics of an old, mature deer. Front shoulder. He looked like a buffalo. Yeah. Front shoulder's just huge. Neck went, rolls. Neck rolls, and not really much of a neck. It just went right into shoulders. Col- coloration of a deer, you, you don't really use that to judge age unless he has all the other characteristics. So this deer was huge-bodied, big pot belly, looked like monster he had shoulders, stubby little legs, monster neck, and very gray in the face. Good bases. Short, short tines. But, yeah, didn't have much else good quality, I guess, when it would come to and, a rat. And they, they were like, he might score. They were telling us all about him, and they said he might score 115. And... I was like, I'll shoot that deer every day of the week. Richard kind of looked at me like I was crazy. I'm like, I don't let in. Here's how I dictate whether or not I'm going to shoot a deer. If my heart's going, then I'm shooting him. Yeah. And if a buck steps out and I look at him and he's just, I'm kind of like, oh, that's a, that's a good deer. I, I probably don't shoot him. But I look back at when I was a kid and if any deer that stepped out, 
and I couldn't even I couldn't even like function. Then it was like there's no point in trying to say, "Oh yeah, hold off. I don't want you to shoot that deer." The one of the very first times my dad just it was opening morning of a hunt. He dropped me off in the woods. I I still can I could take you to the exact little knob or mound of dirt that I stood on. It was right next to it was right on the property line, honestly. And on the the neighbor shot on in the neighbor. No, I did not. <laughs> the deer just came from there. They had recently done um, a clear cut on their property, and deer were working back into the property. We had to hunt, and I just stood there. I had a 20-gauge Winchester slug gun, and two does came up, shot the one, and you can kill multiple deer in Virginia. And then here comes a spike behind them. I don't know, it was like five minutes later, and I remember, I didn't get a shot off at him, but that encounter of, of you know, hearing Dad talk about it, watching the videos of a buck following does and, and coming in after their trail and nose to the ground kind of stuff. Like that's what I was anticipating happening and wanting to happen prior to ever hunting. And I was watching it before my eyes. And that spiker had me so shook up. I'm hunting from the ground. The deer's 30 yards away and I'm 10 and it it, it was just incredible. Incredible. Mm -hmm. I was so shook up. I couldn't get a shot off kind of deal like oh my gosh i'm seeing it man this yeah. is awesome and yeah. if if i if i would have killed it dude that would have been something else like i would have been cloud nine for weeks you had been trying to figure out a way to get that those antlers cut off take him to school he was going to school i remember the first turkey i ever killed i cut the cut beard? the beard off and put it in a ziploc yep. bag and took it to school i showed my <laughs> art teacher yeah, yeah. My art teacher, because I knew he was a hunter, I said, and I had art that day. It was elementary school. And I was like, oh, I got art today. I'm showing Mr. Harris. And that yeah. beard went in that bag, and I took it to school. Uh-huh. I did the same Still thing. Still smelled great. Yeah. Yep, for sure. All the little girls uh, thought I was crazy. Yeah, what is that? They still do. Beard. Um, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think of a story. I, I got kind of – I love building tree houses as a kid, so that transferred over to – I think back and I'm like, my gosh, I did some stupid stuff. And one of the dumbest, I, I would build these sh- tree stands, 12 foot up a tree, 15 foot up a tree, no harness, just go up, yeah. hammering in two by fours, hanging yep. on with one arm and driving nails with the other, wrap the old, wrap the arm around the tree, hold the nail, hammer with the one free hand. And then you had four nails in your teeth. Yeah. You're like, oh, I can't go back down. Yeah, I don't exactly. Climb back down. And I built all these shooting houses or built all these tree stands. Well, then finally, one time I built this huge shooting house and put carpet all in it. And this was all going on like during September, like when I should have been staying out. I was like, oh, it's time to build. It's fall. I got to go build a shooting house. So I built a shooting house, bought a uh, Remington uh, 6400, I think, Woodmaster semi auto. Semi auto 30 out 6 because I watched TK Mike growing up and that's what they uh yeah. that's what they had. And so I bought this semi automatic 30 out 6. Dad was like, "All right, I'll go sit with you." So it's dad and me sitting in the tree stand. I'm like 13 years old, 12 years old. And I hear see this doe come storming down and he goes, "I bet there's a buck chasing her. Get ready." Sure enough, 5 minutes roll by. Here comes a buck. Whoa! It was kind of that, kind of that, <laughs> t- that twilight where you really can't see, but you see a big body. 
And, of course, I couldn't see anyway. I was so... <gasps> I pull up, and Dad's like, get ready. He's getting ready to go in the back side of the food plot. There he is. He stopped. Boom! Oh, guns rustling everywhere. And I pull the gun up and say, where'd he go? Where'd he go? And he goes, he's still standing there, and you missed him. <laughs> so, semi-auto. Boom! Buck trots off. And I'm like, I got him that time, right? And he goes, no, you missed him. And I still see it clear as day. And we walk up there in this big old uh, split back blackjack tree. had two big old holes in it. I shot right over his back. And my dad, I said, how big was he? And he goes, oh, he's big. Still to this day, he hasn't told me how big that deer was. I'm sure he's huh. forgotten by now. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> he said it was a good buck. But I think back in all those days, just, ah, uh, yesterday when we were at deer camp. And deer camp for me has always been very, uh, it's kind of evolved. You know, starting out. It was just dad, my brother, and I. We were at the cabin. The cabin is my dad's old house that he grew up first 10 years of his life in. No running water, no electricity. Um, we used to use it as storage. So then when we convert it to a cabin, there was mice all through it, like most old farmhouses. What do you mean was? Was, was. mice. There are <laughs> there, mice. There are mice now. But <laughs> uh, trust me, the first night, the first year we ever stayed in it, it was like, it was like, <laughs> there, was, there was mice crawling everywhere. And I was so scared because we had that old, like, vinyl flooring. So their their nails just clicked all over it. What What's that uh, code? Oh, Morse code? It's like someone's yeah. doing Morse code all night. And so anyway, we would be, like, sleeping. And it's just, wake up. And dad would always cook breakfast after the hunt. So you sit through and you'd put on your your uh, coveralls, um, and freeze, freeze, freeze. Cause we had no idea what layering was. No. And we had no idea what wool socks and no. liner socks. Was. You knew what three pairs of socks <laughs> felt like jammed into yeah. a boot size that just you fit couldn't for even one. Move them. No. And that's like biggest air problem. Number one, when you can't move your toes to get blood in them, you're, they're going to freeze off. You and, walk around with uh, bricks on the bottom of your legs. <laughs> I remember used to feel like Frozen somebody bricks. tied strings around him, just was like trying to twist Cut them the off. Circulation, yeah. yeah. And uh, get so like, cold. Walk quiet. Like, I can't even feel my feet to walk quiet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, and we would go hunting and come back, and Dad would cook breakfast on the old fire cook stove. And uh, it's sa- the same one we cook on today. It's the same one he had when he lived in that house. Um, just awesome memories and and that was just dad and I and my brother, and now it's evolved where a few of my other hunting buddies come over and their dad, and actually their dad and my dad used to hunt together, so they kind of get to always reminisce and talk about the old days. And then just this year, we brought we invited one of our neighbors to the north that has never been there. We've never really, he's an old farmer, didn't hunt a whole lot, but we're like, you know what, let's invite him. He took us up on the offer, had a great time with him, and it's kind of just... It's one of those things where you can take, you could cut gun season down to five days. You could cut it down to where we just use shotguns. You could cut it down to where we only get a day of it, but you cannot take away that deer camp breakfast for me. That's what it's, that's kind of, for me, that's like, that's the, that's a cherry on top. That's what it's all about. And that's actually what my buddy's dad told me. He said, this is my favorite part of deer camp is this breakfast right here. And getting together, telling the stories of the morning hunt. That's what deer camp is for me. You know, one of the, the things that I remember the most about, and honestly, everyone everyone does it or goes through this process, but it was just, it was, it was something that always stood out to me. 
Um, and, and when I was growing up, I never bow hunted with my dad. I got into it as I got older and just evolved, I guess, as a hunter. I was like, yeah, that's something I want to do. So I remember, you know, eighth, ninth grade, that's when I really started to get a, a compound bow that could um, shoot and kill a deer, really start practicing and went after it. But so basically my season didn't start until firearm season. And, and there was so much anticipation throughout the fall, you know, the temperature starting to get cooler, so on and so forth. But things didn't get real to me until it was night before. And it was not like the preparation that we go through today as in, okay, what's the wind doing? Oh, or whatever. Like we didn't have, it a, was, it was more or less, at all. which, which tree are you going to go sit against? And, but the, what it was, it was, we each had our hunting jacket or we had a hunting vest. And it was going through the the checklist with data because we had we had this um, we called it the dark side, or, or like basically the mud room in our basement oh, okay. where we had like the wood stove and everything, and um, it was always dark, so we just called it the dark. That's side. where you know. always laid out all your gear. Yeah, so we would lay out gear right there in the basement between that and the the, the mud room, the dark side, and we we'd each go through that checklist and we'd put it on and, and we'd, we'd go, okay, you got the grunt call. Do you have shells? Do you have your gloves? Do you have this? Do you have that? And then the, the infamous hot hands. Dad, well, I didn't know what hot hands were until I was old. Like <laughs> dad never told me about it. He, he wore those, those Brown Jersey gloves and said, here, use these. And that's what I thought everyone used. And I was like, man, <sighs> there's gotta be a better cold. way. <laughs> yeah. But that's just what I grew up having. And Did you have a can call? Not at that point. Oh. I got one. Whenever the on. can call first came out, my brother and I, of course, we watched Primo's videos like crazy. When that can call came out, we were like, like awestruck and like, you mean deer make another noise besides a grunt? Yeah. And yeah. so we bought one, and I guarantee we turned them things over nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We meow. <laughs> I. Basically, it was the it was that interaction with Dad and my brother because we all went out together. It was always um, Dad, my older brother, and then myself. We we prepare the night before together. We and we'd all get our our um, guns out together too. Do a little quick cleaning, and if we needed to change a barrel on the shotgun, we would from smoothbore to rifled, whatever. We'd do all that together. Get shells laid out, and then the last thing we did, we had this mason jar, and Dad kept it in the in the closet or i guess the cabinet all year round and the only time it came out was the night before gun season and it was an old t-shirt that was ripped up had baylor twine around it tied around that t-shirt and then he had a little bottle of dopey from way back when i think it was probably expired oh, multiple geez. years this old sounds... <laughs> so what we would do is take that out take the rag out tied to the baler twine from the mason jar, pour a little bit of dopey in that mason jar and tie it in. And what dad would do, he'd drop us off kind of all in a line, if you will, but like, you know, very spaced out. And he'd drag it, he'd tie it to his, his back belt loop and walk in and just go. And he go, this is this, I've seen it before. You know, deer cross that line and then just come down to the next person. And it was like, oh my gosh, this the is drag the, the smells, the, oh. the preparation. To I me, remember I remember when they had scent wafers, and I'm sure they still have yeah. something. But oh, hunter specialties! Uh, hunter specialties had fresh earth, and my brother was 
he bought some of those and still to this day and even the Cinaway soap, the green Cinaway soap, mm-hmm. that smell and the fresh earth smell. As soon as I I mean it touches my nostrils. It's like it's deer seat. It's deer camp. It's it's time to go to deer camp. Yeah. Yeah. And and to me, like that's the stuff that nobody can ever take away from. But it's those memories that that really make Deer Camp, Deer Camp. Oh yeah. The, not even a not no shots fired, no crosshairs put on any deer's body. It's straight up just the camaraderie and the smells and the sights and the just in the breakfast. That's what it is for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is, and then then always the ride to the farm too. Yeah. Like. I, I we always went to the cabin the night before right. and drove in after dark, and it was like a tradition to swing those headlights across the front pasture to see if there's any deer out there. <laughs> I'll see you Not in the that we would shoot them, yeah, um, but just to just to see if there's anything out there, right? And oh gosh, it just yeah, I, and and to me that's what when I want to introduce somebody, even Lord willing, my own kids one day, that's the deer camp I'm going to introduce them to is the whole. Right. The the fact that it's it's so much more than just shooting an animal and and oh, yeah. trying to punch yeah. a tag, like it's almost like a rite of passage. If you want to start hunting, you better come to deer camp first, and then or you better experience these things that we do. And hopefully, you'll find the appreciation years down the road once you've gone through this process. Once you've gone through that process, you've shot your dinker bucks and your does. Then you can maybe evolve into a trophy hunter to where not. And I say trophy hunting very loosely because maybe it's I just want to kill. I just I shot a two and a half. I want to shoot a three and a half next year. Okay, I shot a th- couple three and a halves. Yeah. I want to shoot a four and a, a half. Step and 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 that progression though, you know, can help can change and and be different for everyone, every person. But what I what 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 we don't want to happen or, or portray or anyone go through is a is a shooter's remorse basically. Like, yeah, I I don't I don't think that should ever be the case. Like. If you're pulling the trigger, one, you should know exactly what it is you're you're taking, but you should be just jumping for joy. Like I mean, yeah. just pumped up every if, single time. Exactly. I, every time it breaks my heart when somebody shows me a picture, sends me a picture, and they say the one of the first I'm things not the is biggest, but first thing or yeah, it's not the one we were hunting, or um, I probably should have gave him another year, or. Um, I know you probably wouldn't want to shoot this one, but, and it's like, no, 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 no. That's not You get hunting. to decide yeah. what makes you happy, and if you are happy, then I am happy. Mm-hmm. And if you being happy means that you're going to introduce somebody else to that feeling, then I will never, ever. Put you down. And in that. fact, if I catch somebody putting you down for that, then I'm going to pull them off to the side and have a talk with them. Yeah, and honestly, I'm gonna take Matt's dad's dopey rag and I'm gonna put it in your mouth. <laughs> Gag you with it, because trust me, I'm gonna get you to shut oh, up. You don't even have to put the rag in the face; just put the nose over that jar. My gosh, <laughs> doesn't smell anything like dopey. You know, it was one of those things that mom is like she knew when it was coming out, and she just go to the other side, go to the other side of the room. Don't you even open it close to me. But <laughs> was man, that, was that part of your uh, like? When you were being bad, Matt, don't make me go get the jar. <laughs> no, I love the jar because it meant I was hunting the next day. I meant like if you were getting disciplined and it was like, Matt, like my dad had the belt. Maybe your dad had the jar. <laughs> no, no. Because <laughs> I would just sat there. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mm. No, it, I just. kind of sound like Snortwees. <laughs> um, to me, like that's all uh, so many things. And 
And I know we were planning on talking about. We went way um, much longer. Deer on this, camp, but and I that's will. why I kind of told you, let's do one on deer camp. And you were like, well, let's let's add these things. And it's kind of habitat minded. But I was in the back of my mind, I thought, eh, I'm going to talk about deer camp a lot more than 15 minutes, just because it gets me like. Now you and I both very hardcore bow hunters, yeah. um, and and frankly we kind of target our sights on stuff that maybe upper age class or whatever it is. In Kansas, your buck was probably I don't know if you got a job on yet. I haven't gotten to the tax service yet. He I've talked to him. He says basically in the field judging that deer, I would have said he's a three and a half year old deer. Yeah awesome incredible yeah, we hunt t- we saw um, him in the summer yeah and and frankly from the very get-go we said <laughs> we're gonna shoot that deer yeah, regardless darn right <laughs> um uh, he says he thinks it's four and a half or older yeah. he says it's got a lot of wear i haven't been able to to meet up with him yet to to judge myself um but honestly uh, i've had people ask me how old was that deer because it looks really old it's like Honestly, I think it could be three and a half. Yeah. I have no no problem, no shame sharing that at all one bit. That was an awesome deer and an incredible hunt. And that's just a number. I, I don't care. Uh, yeah. I don't who cares? Care. Don't care how old he is. No. And, uh, right. and if ODB was 12 and a half, that's awesome. Yeah. And, he and, and it's kind of like there's two different categories. There's, there's the size of the antlers that gets the heart rate up, and then there's the size of the body or the age that he possibly might be. Mm-hmm. And those two things is really what triggers for me, I think. We talked about it the other day, too. It's like, remember the first buck you grunted in? I, I remember it was, I was muzzleloader hunting, and it was, I was just off a of field edge. I, <clears throat> gosh, it was uh, election day. And I remember grunting him in. He just, boom, responded and just worked right in front of me. 30 yards, muzzleloader, dropped him. (laughs) Little old six-pointer, year and a half old. But for me, it was, holy crap, this deer, I'm talking to this thing. It's responding. It was almost like I wanted to experience basically running the deer in. And when I did, boom, killed it, awesome, loved it. It's like... The thrill of the hunt is is part of it too. Like you know, that's another almost requirement I think of of a hunt. I I love action packed stuff. The that buck there in Kansas, we saw him do some incredible stuff. We saw deer do pre rut everything you can imagine. So that mm-hmm. hunt itself was awesome. Yeah, it's it's not like he just meandered out to a field and fed and head down feeding one all bull. by himself. And you right. said, all right, give me that gun, pow. It was everything put together yeah even if even if you would have jacked it up like you almost did i thought um and and draw and he draw when it got really still and he saw you and wheeled out it would have still been an incredible encounter yeah yeah now we would have maybe been had some frustrations oh there have been frustrations because but it was still the fact that the whole show was done long before the arrow was ever launched yeah um and to me, I, I, gosh, I, I hope that people are listening to this and it maybe is tweaking a little bit of the mindset if they were focused on the age and that's it. And, and what I hate is the trolls and the social media fights um, and arguments that break out when some guy shoots a young buck um, and he's proud of it. And somebody says, why'd you shoot that young buck? Like that mm-hmm. just, my heart breaks because it's like as hunters, we're not picking each other up and not supporting each other when we make comments like well, that. Well, we can't 
I mean, we, we've got to be honest with with everyone. There, there's a there's a sense of pride when it comes to taking an animal and, and being having a successful hunt, and and a lot of people take pride differently, and 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 judge pride differently, and and to be a top dog, everyone thinks you have to wait. Uh, there's a lot of people waiting until a deer's five and a half to be able to shoot it. And six and a half. Oh, a four and a half isn't good enough now because someone else has shot a six and a half and he got bigger from four to six. Dude, enjoy the hunt. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm, and and I'm not saying if if all you want to do is shoot mature bucks that you you're wrong. No. If that's your goal, let that be your goal. But don't subject others to saying your goal is a hundred percent right. <laughs> and, well, they might have a yeah. different opinion, and yep. that's fine. And and now that kind of goes into, you've got these uh, these three categories of types of gun hunters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Th- I think the is, first one. Well, th- this is something we always address with with our client though too. When yeah. it comes to doing a consultation, hey, we want to know openly what is your what's your season like. Talk to us about your season. How do you hunt? What do you hunt? Do you want a gun hunt? Um, is it important to you? How, do your neighbors gun hunt? Because all the information, that feedback that we get, will help determine how we set up a property. But what we how found, often you're going to hunt? How many people are hunting with you? Yeah. Um, Is there a week that's really pressured? Are the how? people that are hunting with you kids that w- you just want them to see a bunch of deer, or are you guys serious hardcore and you want to kill Boone and Crockett deer? And, and that right there, that question is exactly what we're talking about when it comes to harvest objectives with other people, like. We can go to a property and guy just says, dude, I want to see a pile of deer. We can make that happen. Mm-hmm. I don't care if that's all you want to do. You can shoot a year and a half old buck. That don't matter. Yeah. But we have other people who say, no, I, I want to shoot a four and a half. I want, I want a chance at shooting a mature deer every single year. Or I want a we chance to shoot too. a 200-inch deer every single year. <laughs> We've like, had that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a good conversation that occurs after that. Yeah. That but. Says- what? Okay. <laughs> well, let's shoot for the stars then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um and and I think to us the the whole goal regardless if if they wanted the 200 every year, what are we how can we manage to get you and your friends or family back every single year buying tags, buying gear and getting outdoors? Yes, that, that's how we manage. That's the that's the important thing. And and so we asked that question and what I guess we've kind of found is there's a spectrum into which people respond to, well, what are your thoughts on firearm seasons and firearm seasons? You know, they can vary from state to state and when they occur and, and the, the freedom in which the liberalness of them, um, even within certain States, they can change. When I was growing up in Virginia, we had, uh, portions of the state where just two week gun season. The other, other portion was five and six week gun seasons. So that, that question is pretty loaded, but in addition to that, we have to we have to understand that, you know, not every gun season falls during the rut. Some some may fall later. You know, in Missouri again, we, we're an open um, firearm season right now, and it's it came in the 11th, goes for um, through at least the the rest of this week and, and carries on. But it it hits right in the middle of the rut. So uh, a person in Missouri may have a different opinion of firearm season than they do, let's say, in Kansas. When it comes in in December and and runs for a certain period of time, so we have to when we ask that question, I guess be open minded to what the responses may be. But 
and I guess, and, and also the way we would manage. However, these three categories, most hunters would be able to identify with one of them or fall into the category in their initial response to how do you hunt during firearms? You know, what do you believe? How do you feel about first firearm one, season in your state? The first one, I, that's the one I say I used to be involved in. Um, it's like a gang or something, dude. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was in this gang, and, yeah. and we were very anti gun we wore, season. We didn't wear that blaze orange like everyone else. <laughs> yeah. We wore it when we were next to the road, and then when the game warden couldn't see us, we took it off. Yeah, and then we carried our bows with pride. Right, right. And then, uh, and then we started petitions on Facebook. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But but it's a I mean there's a lot of people that do fall into the category of they're they're anti firearm season again in different states and, and how gun season is set up. What did up. you title this one? The anti anti firearm season. Yeah, the guy who says I hate it. I hate firearm season. I hate what it means. I hate it. Yeah, and, and again, we're not saying that this is right, wrong, or whatever. However, we're just going to give some additional perspective on what this category is, where the stance is, what it means to everyone. And then in addition, if you, if you don't choose to t- partake in firearm season, you don't like it. Well, here's some suggestions to what you can do to best outfit your property to withstand the pressures of gun season. And when you say not partake in it, I, I have to ask because there's not partaking in it as in I'm staying home and mm-hmm. not partaking in any of the festivities, like crossing the arms. No, and uh, that's a. And then there's the other one who sits in his stand, even though he hates it. He sits in his stand and let's say in Missouri, in blaze orange hat and vest, arms crossed, lower lip stuck out, and whines the whole time. But mm-hmm. he still is out there. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're both. I hate gun season, but they have two ways. Of about yeah. it. And I'll bet you there's more guys that are sitting in their stand with their arms crossed saying, <laughs> I hate this. Yeah. But they're still out there. <clears throat> they are. They are. And, and again, this is not a um, you're wrong, you're right situation. This is just where I think it, if everyone was honest with themselves, they'd fall into one of the categories. Um, but for, well, I guess recently we've seen on Facebook um, a petition going around to move the gun season, and that's so it doesn't fall within. Even the before you moved to Missouri, Matt, you were still in Virginia or Maryland. Yeah, and it, this has been the last eight years. I think I can vividly remember this conversation getting brought up multiple times every single year, where these very serious hunters, myself included, would say, "You know, if we're really trying to make Missouri what Kansas and Iowa are, we need to get gun season out of the rut." The rut is when the deer are running everywhere. They're the dumbest they're going to be of all, all year during all season. And we send the whole Orange Army out there, and they get to blast them away. And so there's been this whole argument. Get this out of gun seat, or get this out of the rut. Get this out of the rut. Push it back like Iowa and Kansas. And, and, a, and a bunch of other states. However, what, what if we were to do that? If that was to happen in the future, what would it change? And, and not just what would it change as into a deer herd, a population stance, but what would it change for the outlook of the entire state? When we talk about the economy, we, economy, we talk about, um, you know, the, the presence of, of 
hunters outside of the state coming to the state, what then do we see? Because I think if we were honest with ourselves and really, let's say you are anti-gun hunter, anti-firearm hunter, and you're just strictly bow hunter, your deer season as you know it wouldn't be the same without all these other people buying tags and partaking in deer hunting. There's definitely strength in numbers. Even yeah. though you don't agree with half of the people, I, honestly, I I would bet there's more people. We didn't have the numbers on this, um, but there's more probably more gun hunter. I know there's more gun hunters than bow hunters in oh, yeah. the, in the country, no doubt. But in Missouri, more specifically, I bet you there's more guys that are gun hunters than bow hunters. But then there's also this this other category or these other categories where there's probably more people that are nonchalant about it than there are the serious bow hunters. And the serious bow hunters are definitely sometimes, and myself included, especially during these years where I was very anti-gun season, very outspoken, very much in favor of getting it moved. But what scares me, you talked about it, what scares me about that is the fact that, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, we've lost so 2 million hunters. We start making huge changes like this to where, let's say, we do move the gun season. What's that going to do? to the guys that are going out just during that gun season and or, or new hunters. New hunters that that we want to get out there and experience a whitetail rut that is just awesome and deer just doing what deer do, chasing, mm-hmm. having, you know, a lot of encounters and a lot of opportunity to to have those harvests. You know, how how does that affect that down down the road? You know, if we let's just say if it was to move to the last weekend of November or or into December, yeah, what would that do? I, I think uh, we have this late youth season, but there's not nearly as many youth hunters to go out because, frankly, it's so cold. <laughs> it's late December. Yeah, yeah, it, I think it, right it, at the beginning. Of, it's right around Christmas. Yeah, I think. yeah, and that January. Yeah, it's it's so cold, so a lot of people don't go out. That that could be happening during our main rifle season. We drop mm-hmm. numbers. Or it could overlap with Kansas and Iowa or whatever to where we don't have as many non-residents coming into the state. Mm-hmm. And, and that, of course, that's always been the argument. It, they want too much money. That's It brings in too much money. Well, it also brings in a lot of people and a lot of hunters. And a lot and of money into the And at the end of the day, we want, we want people hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think and to keep it, like they say on Fox News, fair and balanced, to – what would happen to uh, on a positive note? You know, if, if if we were to move it, what would change? We would get a lot more. We would have uh, a better, age, a more older age structure, most likely. Less two and three year olds wouldn't be shot because they're not running around chasing does like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that overall our trophy structure, um, our boon- our record book entries would probably grow because of that age structure. But I think overall, and you asked in a positive note, I think that's some of the biggest positives that we would see. Um, the population would grow because there wouldn't be as many deer um, being harvested, um, frankly, because they're not moving as much that time. I think I, 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 I definitely agree on that, that, that. That's something that would most likely be able to be seen um, if deer season were to be moved. And, again, it's it's not a – stance on it It, it's just a okay food for thought perspective on okay this is where a lot of people uh, may fall into the category um and if this were were to happen here in the state 
this is this is what could potentially it's, it's dangerous it's, yeah it would be very dangerous to try and move that I, I in my opinion um and and so that pretty well covers the first one what's the second so one anti yeah very anti uh, a, a second one <clears throat> that a lot of people would possibly fall into is i partake in firearm season because it's my family tradition yeah it's a tradition that everyone does in and around me not only my family but the community and I partake in it because that's just that's what I do. That that's yeah. who I am. It's like uh, the schools that let out. I I think of, God bless those schools. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we let out opening day uh, deer season. Oh, I had. Oh gosh, it was an old girlfriend of mine. She, her family was originally from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania has so many hunters in their state. And it is a very proud state to be a deer hunter in. Um, when I talk about community and a tradition, that is the first, uh, I guess, state that comes to mind for me in my experiences with with hunters is Pennsylvania. They and they have um, a firearm season that comes in the Monday following Thanksgiving, and it comes in. There's no school that day. There's never been school that day. Everyone lets out, and it comes in that day and it's it's like the world stops in pennsylvania that day because of the just the over like everyone goes out everyone goes out i'm not a hunter but we're out of school why why are you out of school well it's deer season well so what are you doing i'm going deer hunting that's what everybody does so we can all come to school on tuesday and talk about what we saw yeah it's incredible the the support and the tradition and the the heritage that <clears throat> in that community in the state in those families that they have like everyone comes together deer camp is such an important um aspect of that culture that hunting culture in that state and you know that's just one one state in particular that does that there's many many others that experience the same thing but a like we said earlier there's an incredible amount of hunters that fall into that category. And if those hunters said, you know what? This tradition doesn't mean as much to me anymore. I'm just going to stop buying a tag or I'm going to stop hunting. That changes a lot. Mm-hmm. We're talking majority of hunters fall into that. And yet this is totally the people that I, I have friends that, if I went up to them in July and August and said, look at, look at this buck, they'd say, like, okay. Like, they could care less. Yeah. and They're if, fishing at that point. It, not care. even that. Like, they're playing golf um, or watching Cardinals baseball. And then I go up, if I went up to them in September and said, check out this buck just showed up on camera, they'd still look at me and go, okay, yeah, that looks cool. And it's not until the week prior or the day prior when they actually start thinking about it. Yeah. It's it's all the people in line at Walmart the night before season opens buying the bullets and bullets, buying their tags. Tink 69, <laughs> yeah. camo burlap, and a tag. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love those guys. Yeah. Because just because they're not they may not be thinking about deer season, you know, in June or July doesn't mean that they don't love Getting out and experiencing a deer hunt. And some of those guys are the ones that have breakfast at 6.30. It's, the sun's coming up, and they're still at breakfast talking. Yeah. And they're the guys. Oh, gosh, that, we got to get to the woods. They used to make <laughs> me so mad. 
and because those are the guys where I'd hear killed a big killed a huge buck and they got out there at 8:30 in the morning and this buck chased a doe by and they shot it and I'm like I have poured my heart and soul into all these food plots all this stuff and they're the ones who kill them and now I'm like oh, good for him I know he's coming back next year oh yeah I know he's putting money into this big pot of hunters this that, big that pot makes... that makes us look like conservationists or that that helps us it in doesn't provi- look like it in, because of the Pittman robertson act we are conservationists. yeah and, oh you just did the missouri conservationist magazine back cover i am conservation <laughs> <laughs> nice <without laughs> and, and that's it. what that money goes to and so belittling those people who don't even think about it is not the right approach we should be thanking them for for joining the club. Even though they only join the club for one or two days a year, they still join the club. They, they still put money in They it. play an, an incredibly huge role into making hunting the way it is. And the hunting as we know it. Yeah. And, and, and you know, again, it's not, it's, it doesn't matter which category you fall into. Again, because at the end of the day, everyone here is still a hunter. Mm-hmm. It's still a hunter. And we're still conservationists. Yeah. Now, the last one. The third one is I carry a gun because everyone else does, and and it's 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 rifle season now. I've been bow hunting, but now it's rifle season, so I'm going to carry my rifle. And I think this is again we I think we've said on each one a lot of people fall into this one. It may be maybe without even knowing it, we like they're split. This is a thirds. If you were to poll the hunting population, yeah, who knows? Who knows? But who knows? I doubt me, it. But this is this one. Um, is a guy who's been bow hunting all year round, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll take my rifle out. Sure, you know, it, I've got a week and a half to make this thing done." <laughs> to me, Let's I think it. this is the uh, the respect guy, the guy who demands respect. The deer been coming in the food plot at hundred <laughs> yards, and I now will he's make ca- you pay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's carrying the gun, not because he wants to, because he gets a huge thrill about carrying the gun, because he's like. I'm tired. I'm gonna punch a tag, and I'm so he's teach like, "That their lesson. <laughs> yeah. It's time to get some respect." Yeah. <laughs> I noticed you looked at me like I was like, "Where's he going like, with this?" Yeah, what are you talking about? Getting respect because <laughs> yeah. I can carry a gun, NRA proud, or what are you talking about? <laughs> no, you gotta oh, get some funny. respect. Yeah, so teach these to me that's lesson. and this is a category that I fall into now, to where we bow hunted all fall ever since season opened up, but it's now gun season and. Truth be told, we both like carrying a bow more. I like the challenge of a bow. I like the close encounters. But when it's the 10-day gun season, fine. I'll throw a rifle on and break out the tradition and be like, okay. Like this year, broke out the old Watt 6, hadn't carried it, hadn't even hardly broke it out of the case. And Can we just start referring to it as the shoulder cannon? The shoulder I, cannon? I think that would be better. It doesn't feel like a shoulder cannon. It's like... To me, I, I don't know what it's kind of... It's a 30-06 what, Woodmaster. What else is it? It's a shoulder cannon, <laughs> yeah, dude. I guess. I guess. Um, and everyone I just, else who has I broke that it gun, out. they're like, yeah, darn right it is. Yeah. Shoulder cannon. Yeah. And to me, it was just like, broke it out. And it's just like, man, I haven't carried this thing. And I think it was six years since I haven't, since I'd carried it during gun season. Mm. Um, and it was just like, wow, okay. All right. Feel that wood grain and uh, got, yeah, got that old, old steel. Got the old. I think <laughs> of the old Remington BDL. I got that. Oh, oh yeah. I got that old, and it's got that Leopold scope on it. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. I don't know if they say it other where, but here in Ozarks, a lot of guys call them Leopold, and it should be Leopold. 
That's how the commercials say it. Loophole. It's got an E in there. You got to <laughs> Leopold. Leopold. That's how that Scotch, Scot, Scottish, Irish heritage. You add them extra syllables. Yeah. So well, yeah. So this this is this is the guy who who partakes and and, and enjoys it. Um, and I guess as you said, demands respect. <laughs> but you know, when it comes to this, and it talks about it earlier about when that gun season falls in your state, there's there's different strategies in which we would suggest for you to use based on your firearm season and when it comes in and let's just talk about an early gun season and we're going to group muzzleloader inline muzzleloaders and firearm season in that same category um, as an early gun season now modern day firearms can shoot 200 plus yards it's it's a rifle in my opinion. modern day muzzleloaders, yeah, 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 might uh, as well be a rifle. And not, you know, it's not a that's not a derogatory comment to muzzleloaders. It's just the fact that you can shoot them at 200 yards. So and even further, it's a firearm so, yeah. season. So yeah. anyhow, early gun season. If if I was a landowner and I was going to partake in it, um, what's something I would do on my property during early gun season to be successful? And when I say early gun season. In, in the case of Maryland, there's a muzzler season, a three-day muzzler season that usually falls like the 17th, 18th, and 19th of October. Of, of October. Yeah. Um, Virginia muzzler season, the first two weeks of November. Like, that's kind of the early gun season that we're talking about, somewhere in those dates. Mm-hmm. I know Georgia comes in, firearm season comes in early. North Carolina comes in early. South Carolina comes you in. you got to say South Carolina August. comes in in August. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To me – we always talk about this early season. Let's just say pre-rut, post-rut, or pre-rut, rut, post-rut, or early season, hardest season, yeah. late season. Um, and those early season, late season, food cover patterns. There's very much a uh, deer are consistently going to food plots or crop fields or an a. Uh, here you go, an acorn tree wow um what is that i don't know it felt weird <laughs> they're going to acorn trees and so to me it's very much uh early season i'm trying to do habitat and i'm trying to plan a hunting strategy around that i want to somehow find a attractive food source or plant an attractive food source for that time frame to, to me if, if it's an early gun season i i don't want to put any pressure on a bedding area i want to be over that food source i want a larger view because i can reach out and touch them so might mm-hmm. as well have a large, maybe a destination food source yeah. that they're getting to, and I want and to be attractive. you want it to be close to a bedding area because there's I, a chance correct, correct. it's still warm during October, and so you want to position that bedding area close to the food source. And what might help that is put it on an east slope or a north slope. Or somewhere to where it's the it's bedding in the area, shape. not the food The bedding right. area, yes. Because I don't, again, I'm not hunting over that bedding area, but I'm just cutting down the distance between bedding to food. So then when I have the larger view and deer come to that food source, I can do what needs to get they done. They can stand up from a bed and walk to the food plot in a Daylight short hours. period. Yes. Yeah. Get there for you to be able to fill a tag. So if big destination, large view. Yeah. bedding area on a north slope and and you may have throw in a to me i think of a big square a big rectangle and you've got a i in an ideal situation you have a bedding area on a north slope that's very close to it and a bedding area that's also on a west slope or a south slope that's close to it just in case you do get a cold spell or you are in a northern state where it is cold in october mm-hmm. 
then deer go prefer that south or western facing slope and come from a different direction. Yeah. Um, now this is the guy that you're trying to manage for the rut gun hunt. This is this is the rut. Now we're moving on to the rut. When when it comes to setting up this property, to me and when what the deer are doing, the behavior that a, a deer hunter can most likely see is at this time frame, the does have gotten pushed, they've gotten nudged, and are tired of it. They're seeking thick cover, and that's where they're at. And a, like tonight, hunting with Seth Harker, we saw 30-plus deer, maybe a three-and-a-half-year-old, and a larger buck way after dark. The rest, does and fawn. Hmm. But this year's a little bit different. It's kind of weird. We're not experiencing the exact same rut activity we typically do. But what rut? <laughs> but on a typical point, I want to be looking over thick bedding areas, thick cover. I want a big view. I want or close to them, like very, very close. close, because they're going to be in there and they might get nudged out. And, and it'll loop back around and get back in that cover to evade or hide from the bucks if they're not receptive. But we saw a lot of little bucks tonight. We didn't see the big mature bucks. We we pondered, wondered, wonder if they're locked down with a doe. Wonder if they're pushing does and, and, and thick of cover. Yep. They're not coming out to these food sources. If there was a doe who's close to being receptive or receptive, if she's in that field, you're going to know it. We're going to absolutely know it from the, the little bucks, the yearlings, and the two-and-a-half-year-old or two that were out there. We're going to yeah. know. There's very little chasing going on I out think in the field. What we're seeing on the Prairie Hollow property is it's been a very strange year, and that's kind of this whole creation of Lana Legacy and, and the whole Prairie Hollow property and family farm transformation is they're all at the beginning stages. They start at the same time. So we're learning this as – this goes and so we're talking about what we're learning and right now what we're seeing is patterns typical patterns have changed deer are hanging out what we suspect in those treetops where they just logged even though there's equipment and gravel roads close seems like that's where a lot of the deer are coming from deer typically came to the cut cornfield from the west now they're coming from the east and after dark we're not seeing them till we're walking out and we're bumping them up in the bushes or up in the treetops and that's just classic this time of year for two reasons, bucks are really pest, pestering the does, nudging them around, chasing them, trying to find receptive does. They're getting annoyed. They're trying to hide out. But now we're also getting the hunting pressure. There's a lot of banging and driving and people walking and scents all through the woods. So they're trying to find the thickest cover so they can hide out and survive. And if I'm trying to manage that property, Matt, I think you had to comment when we talked about um, the amount of people we saw and the guns we were hearing you were like this is nuts how are people not dying out what, here what i was envisioning in and around and you know this is just a small example of of missouri and southern missouri based with the number of gunshots that we're hearing from varied locations i i stop and consider basically your scent cone basically how your scent from one your stand is dispersing throughout the woods and obviously as it, you get farther away from your position it fans out Wind currents take it different ways, so on and so forth. How many deer smelt a human hmm. opening day of gun season just in, in, in our, let's say, five-mile radius? 
Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. They were like, oh, run, run. <laughs> Stop a little bit. <laughs> I keep on running. Yeah. I it, mean, it, it, it was ridiculous. And that's the, I mean, that's the only life I know for gun season, especially. I mean, you sat there a couple years ago. My brother counted with a pitch counter 100 and what do you say? 120, 120 shots, shots by 8 o'clock in the morning. So an hour and a half a daylight, hour and 45 minutes a daylight. That's uh, insane. Yeah, it's nuts. That and insane. that's good old Booger County gun season right there. And so for me, if I'm managing a property, which we are, we want we want cover. Cover, cover, cover. And, and, I, and, and that's I want, it. And I want I want to be able to hunt as well though. I still I still want when it comes to firearms season, I still want to take the rifle out and, and be successful. So I want cover, but I wanna have a let's say, you know, a trail or a road that splits that cover so when they cross back and forth as they're checking or seeking receptive does, I could take a shot. Or you don't have that big of an area or a big enough area you can't make a hundred acre section of cover yeah so you have five acres here five acres here five acres here i want to be able to effectively hunt in between those to catch deer going Mm -hmm. back and forth or moving throughout from from one chunk to the next one thing that is is often underrated is the the presence of a gas line or or a power line throughout a property like i would utilize that during a, a rifle season when again i can reach out and touch them and i would place a bedding area on both sides of that right of way that I know is going to be maintained and open. And then I'd shoot the deer as they cross back and forth because they're in that cover. And I'd set it up where I can use that to my advantage. Yep. And, and it's that, it's that simple. Just identifying, okay, deer are going to be seeking cover because of all the scent cones out there and whatnot. Like basically for two reasons, for security from bucks and for security from us as hunters. Yep. Um, that that's where the the magic is for a firearm season during the rut, post rut, post rut. To me, back to food, food source, food, food, food. You food. think of, I mean, if you want to kill a giant, get a late season muzzleloader tag. I think it's the second muzzleloader season of Iowa. Go up there, find a food source. You're going to have a great chance. Uh, food uh, source and, and what really is up there that would be extremely good standing, standing grain. grain. Yes. Let a um, farmer just leave some standing grain. They have great yields, better than food plots. Mm-hmm. Let it stand. And make sure you leave enough for late season, for it to get through to late season, and you will have to and, eat. And honestly, if I, I would rather have five acres. I would rather pay a farmer to leave five acres of standing grain than go in and plant a quarter acre here, half acre here, quarter oh, acre I here. I would like a large, a large area. Because they could consume it quickly very quick so that that's crop country leave some grain somewhere find some grain somehow get it there um in our area we don't have a lot of crop fields it's it's wheat fields trying to plant something that's an attractive food source that can contain a lot of deer and have that available during the late season or or even a clear cut as well Mm -hmm. they can bed and feed there and we're going to notice that and, and a lot this winter as we start cutting Trees continue to be harvested, and there's a lot of treetops laying around. There's a lot of buds on those tops, a lot of young, tender li- uh, limbs at the end that they're going to eat. Um, that That's going to be very attractive. And it's still an adequate food source. Like, deer typically eat that. Deer don't typically eat a cash crop. Like, that's not natural no. for that to happen. Not saying it's not good or it's not or, or you it know, doesn't it's not happen. 
It's very effective. Very. But long before those were there, those crops were ever there, deer were surviving on twigs in the timber. Twigs. Buds. Huge fire ripped through, and there's treetops everywhere, and there's early secession growing. That's what they were surviving on. That acres. Early forest regeneration. And so if you can have that, let's say you're just timber country, you can do that um, to provide a food source. And it's a great food source. And well, I'm excited to do that this winter with our hanging hunt, move in right behind the logger, hang tree stand where they just fell trees that day and see what happens. Right. That's another way. And and the same thing, um, you want to have a as early season, but let's just swap it and say, okay, late season is probably cold. I've got standing grain. Now I want to put a bedding area on a west-facing, south-facing slope and get deer to that food source during daylight. That's it. That's it. That's simple. And when they come in, they're going to pour in. If that's if that's a, the only food source available, they're going to pour in. Have we been talking for an hour and, what, a half? I don't know. I don't Surely think it's not. that long. Okay. It's been a while. But it's I'm been a while. We had a lot more deer hour. camp talks than we thought we would or than you thought we would. I, I did. <laughs> but you know what? <clears throat> That's just fine. And I, I hope that it just simply sharing all that and sharing, you know, what tradition, you know, your family has been through and, and what I remember as a, as a young hunter and, and just the feeling of, of the anticipation of gun season and, and what it does for new hunters I, and sharing all that and, and beyond that with, the, the, I guess, the stereotypes. I hope it just brings perspective to everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not, and again, there's no finger pointing. There's none of that. It's simply, this is the current state in which we're at as hunters. This is the very current for us firearm season because it just came open. Um, so let's talk about it, but let's talk honestly about it and and how we feel, how our career, I guess, has, has shaped us and into what we're where we now stand on things. Um, but it's important to to not only hear this, I think, or have an open mind, um, but just develop your own thoughts on it. Not saying that you agree, but Think We're a hunters. little bit more about it. We're hunters. Everyone's yep. a hunter. No matter if you take a gun to the woods or if you don't. Or if you show up to deer camp to just eat. It don't matter. Whether you shoot fixed blades or mechanicals. Whether you drive a Ford to camp or or a Chevy to camp. Or a Dodge. Whether you carry a crossbow or a compound. Or a compound and your cousin carries a recurve and he talks crap to you the whole time. Yeah. We're all hunters at the end of the day. Or we shoot iron sights or a, or a scope for your dad's Winchester Model 94. Whether you shoot a Nikon or a Tasco. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. No. Just hopefully that you, you, you think a little bit more about, you know, as I've heard a million times, walk a mile. What is it about that person and hunting that gets them out there? And respect that. As long as they're getting out there and trying to get other people out there. And uh, we've said it a million times ever since those numbers came out. I think we both have been a little bit like, whoa, this in my lifetime, if we keep that trend, something's going to happen that will not be. If we didn't say anything about it, then we weren't doing what we feel like our job is or or our duty as other hunters. Yeah. you know, I, I I just think of like the olive branch. It just needs to be extended to all groups, all hunters um, out there. And 
You know, I'm going to read you something, Matt. This goes into, I was at the Wonders Wildlife Museum. You can read? Yeah, sure can. And this was the Wonders Wildlife Museum at Bass Pro, Springfield, Missouri. Got to go see it. Wonderful museum. And this was towards the very end. I think it's right as you walk out. And it's a quote from, my phone took a blurry picture. Um, I, I don't, I'll, I'll butcher it either way. He's a conservationist. he's got a different name and it's blurry so but i can read this enough in the end we will conserve only what we love we will love only what we understand we will understand only what we are taught Mm -hmm. and to to me like i i saw that and i it gave me chills it was like man that is it right there and and i think for us we 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 love habitat we love land and a reason for this podcast creating was to help educate others on land and hopefully motivate you to have a passion and pride towards that land and uh and hopefully we are here teaching you what we've learned to where you can pass that down and teach other people yeah definitely and i i'd like to get some feedback on on what people think about this podcast oh that's scary we no just... I, i'm serious i'm serious because if we're going to be honest about sharing what we believe or or sharing you know i think if you, you guys need to respond um and let us know what your thoughts are I, yeah you know, for sure i, I every even as far as the the, the gun season yeah um whether it should be moved or not and and bow season and and the whole just the whole confrontational type arguments that are derived from these stereotypes yeah, and, and it's I guess it's not a point to, you know, to bring bring up these platforms of where people stand, but just to just to keep an open mind and listen to other people. Um, yep. Everyone's experiences are a hundred percent different. You know, we always talk about what's what in habitat. What's the the thing we always go back to? Starts with a D, the big D. Diversity. Oh, diversity. Diversity. Yeah. I, I thought you were gonna say. Dallas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going through. The yeah, um, I, I was. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> diversity and and, and as, as with plants, as with plants, as with habitat, diversity, diversity, diversity. As with society, diversity, diversity, diversity. Now with hunters, diversity, crossbows, guns. Yeah, different stances. Deer like driver. That. Right. Um, stand hunter, blind hunter. Road hunter. No, no, not a road. <laughs> get out of here. Yeah. Poacher. Get on out of here. Um, and so, yeah, diversity. There's It takes all kinds. It takes all kinds of kinds. Yeah. Let's, so, let's stay together as hunters. Though. Now, at the you mentioned it uh, earlier, so I'll just, just in case you are hanging on, I you're probably not, but Matt mentioned the video, oh, the yeah. Evergreen Nature, Nature Preserve. Preserve, releasing that video this week. Hopefully you enjoy it. It's a great example of what conservation is laddie left a legacy or is leaving a legacy of conservation here and i really do um the video has a uh he's selling the property so it's it's a great i was gonna say is he's passing on his legacy yes he's passing on a legacy that he has built around a family's property that in the year 2000 was cultivated open ground for crops i'm not gonna spoil what it looks like now you're going to have to watch that video. Yep. But, but it is thriving. Uh, it, that video, hopefully, you don't look at the for sale at the beginning and, and see kind of negativity with that. It's 
hopefully you look at this and are motivated by what he did with that land and what he transformed the, it into. Yes, the property's for sale. Cool, great. But the purpose, we would be doing an injustice if we don't share the video to show this mindset of conservation and the transformation that this property has gone through. We talk about properties wearing many different faces through many different years. This is a prime example of bare ground, dirt, exposed dirt, now to thriving, thriving with wildlife. For sure. It's incredible. 17 years. Huh. All right. That wraps up this Wrap week. Wrap it up. Deer camp. Deer camp. Habitat yeah. for deer hunting with a rifle and all things confrontational. All <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> so we'll catch you guys next week. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there. We're answering the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Mm-hmm.